So the son of man, who is this son of man? Okay, he's been tempted, tempted in the desert. And who was the winner? Son of man, yep, son of man, because Satan was totally exhausted. He had ran out of anything, and he kind of tucked tailed and left. And now he started his public ministry. So the world is going to start to see who this son of man is. Some of his characteristics are going to come out in this chapter 5. And the first one that I want to pull out can kind of be a controversial one, but Scripture speaks to it. It's called irresistible grace. When God calls us, you can't say no. And I want to start by looking in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Because this passage with Simon being called gets confused with the one in Matthew 4. So we're going to start in Matthew 4. And I want you to listen to the words in Scripture because they are different than the one in Luke chapter 5. Between the time of his inauguration in the temple when he read and said that today this has been fulfilled in your presence, that he has the Messiah, um, and his arrival in Capernaum, he stops by and calls four men. Matthew 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Sea of Galilee, different sea, two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, which means they were in a boat fishing on the Sea of Galilee. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their, net, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Different time than the one we have today in Luke Chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus' public ministry. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, people hungry for the word, people, this was new. He was talking about things that were miraculous and amazing, and it just started to click and make sense, and he was, his nature, calm, and I, I would believe that to be in the presence of Christ was just a calming nature. You know how some people just do that with you? Just, a, just an awareness. So they're pressing into him. They're, they're hungry for the word, and they're pressing him. Um, and he's trying, he wants to talk to them, um, and he wants to teach them. And so in verse 2, he saw two boats by the lake. Not on the lake, not in the lake. Two boats by the lake. But the fishermen were, had gone out of them, the boats were empty, and were washing their nets, not casting their nets, they were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Back then, it was more traditional for the teacher to stay seated and all the people would stand around them. 
Today, we have the opposite happen in there, maybe because people are long-winded, I don't know. But he sat down to teach, and in the boat with him was Simon Peter, because Simon Peter rowed out there in the boat. And so he's sitting there with Christ in the boat, listening to him, teaching the people on the shoreline, because he had removed himself enough from them to give their a distance, acoustics, I guess his voice carried over the water, so he could talk to them. And he teaches them. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus decides to go fishing. So he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night with nothing. Okay, but at your word, I'll, I'll let them down the nets. If we have them arguing with, with Christ, we have them he doubtful that, you know, come on, you know what you're talking about. We've just been out there all night long and we were failures. Well, he does what he says, what, you know, he does relentlessly goes there and throws out the nets. And all of a sudden, all this fish, all this fish, pulling all this fish in, he calls over the other two. And their boat, filled with fish, started to sink, started to sink. So what's going on with this picture? He had been called, these four men had been called prior, and they went back to fishing. They didn't leave everything, did they? Said, we're going to follow you. Okay, we'll follow you. He immediately went. But then somewhere along the road, it was like, gee, I don't know about this Jesus thing. We're going to go back to fishing. Were they successful at it then? No. Because unless you're doing things for the Lord, you're not going to have success. And at this point, they were disobedient. He said, follow me. Come on. And there was these questions in their head. There was doubt in their heads. This is the conviction that hits Peter when he falls on his face and he sees the amazement um, that all this, the astonishment is the word that was used. Wonder and amazement um, came on him. He just fell on his face before Christ because he was realizing that, wow, this guy, you know, I have sinned. I sinned. I said I would follow him, and I went back to fishing. Um, he wasn't all in to follow. He, there was a lack of trust to follow. Jesus, by getting in that boat and th- having them throw out these nests, they did the work. Jesus revealed himself as the supreme person in the realm of the world that they were familiar In your world, will you fish? I'm supreme. I'm calling you now to come out of that and follow me. And the world I'm going to bring you into, I'm supreme in that world too. This was a big revelation for Peter and his friends right there. You can trust him. Now, it doesn't matter what our talents are that we have. If we're following Christ, we do it all to the glory of him. It doesn't matter what we do. Raising kids, doing shop, gardening. We do all, no matter what we do, eat or drink, we do all for the glory of God. And he will bless and reign supreme in those things. So in verse 8, when Peter saw this, um, depart from me for I am a sinful man. That was his conviction, the realization. And now, now 
they're ready to follow Christ. Now they're ready to follow Christ because it goes on to say that they were astonished. When I looked at that word astonished in, the, in Strong's Concordance, it doesn't always have this. It's usually just one word, Greek or Hebrew, that, to, that reference to what it is with several other words. This particular word, astonished, had two words. They wanted me to look in two different places. And the first one was astonished in the Greek, wonder and amazed. Plus, the second one, to seize and encircle. So we get the idea that they were like, whoa, just just all the way around, just, you know, they were just um, overwhelmed with an amazement of what had just happened. They had just been out there all night. They caught nothing. Where did, this, where did these fish come from? Where did they come from? Two boatloads. So the, the conviction that falls on him And also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were partners with Simon. Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid. Follow me. Trust me. It's many times we, when we're not wholeheartedly on board with God, following him, submitting to him, it's a lack of trust. We think we know better. Or from our understanding, it looks like this to us. Um, So we put our understanding over his. But there's a lack of trust in it. And we have got to just totally not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways we need to look to him and follow hard after him. Henceforth, they broke from the past. They moved on, breaking from the past. It was a game changer for them. And they were submitting now totally to him, And when they had brought their boats to land, here it is in verse 11, they left everything and followed him. That part was missing in the Matthew account. They didn't leave everything. They just left the nets and went, left their dad and went. Here it's saying they left everything. Sometimes we get rough starts when we get called to do something, don't we? Are we sure? Should we do? Whatever, you know. Um, but, But when God calls us, it's an irresistible, he doesn't give up. It's not like, oh, I called you. It's like, oh, I guess you don't want to do that. Okay, I'll go, you know. No, he is the hound of heaven that comes after us. Full commitment now in verse 11. Fear not. Trust and fear do not clash. Perfect love, 1 John 4:18. perfect love casts out fear. Who is perfect love? God when we're following him and trusting him, when we're, when we're um, overwhelmed with his love for us and an understanding of it, there is no fear. The phrase, catching men, I just want to pull out one scripture on that. They didn't use nets to do that. But to be a catcher of men, to to um, follow Jesus and be able to bring other people into an understanding. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings into an understanding. But to be able to, to uh, um, be a light and represent Christ 
So their, their attention or whatever can be on what you're talking about. You're catching them, catching their attention. Second Peter 2, 24 talks about what kind of um, people we should be as we catch men. And the key thing is gentle. It's not a hell and brimstone, you need to do this now, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's really not going to, that might put fear in people, but it's not going to be a long-lasting thing. Second Timothy 2, 24 and 26 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's a great verse to remember. That's how we behave in life. That's how we interact with the world that is so evil out there. We endure it, but we are patient, we are loving, we are kind, we are speaking truth. And God may open their eyes to be able to escape from the snare that the devil has captured them into. Because right now they're in his fishing net. So Jesus was doing something completely different. And when he called these men, he wanted them to know that we're going to do something completely different here, you guys. We're going to catch men. You need to totally, wholeheartedly be on board. So, while he was in one of the cities, in verse 12, we're seeing a little bit more of his divine nature come out. This son of man, who is he? He's different. In what ways was he different? Well, he was a healer, and he was a forgiver. And as he started to open up his public ministry um, and people became more and more aware and the reports of him went from, remember we talked last week of just um, kind of to, to a roar, a loud thing out there, and to another, to our one here in um, chapter 5 where it's about an understanding of who he is. We start to see more sides of him. And in this part, he's not doing what everyone should be doing when it comes to leopards. Leopards. We stay away. We don't look at them. We don't breathe the same air as them. There's a wide girth around them. They have to walk down the street saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. (laughs) I'll share this with you. I shared it with Leaders Council. It's like when you're driving and you see that car that has student driver on it, It's like, whoa, whoa, right? Wide birth there. So in this society, when there was leopards around, they would have to announce that they're a leopard, and you did not go by them. Heaven forbid you got close enough to look in their eyes. Here, Jesus is doing something different. He's different. While he was in one of the cities in verse 12, there came a man full of leprosy, full of it. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Did he get close enough to have eye contact? Do you think Jesus looked at him in the eyes? There was a connection there 
close enough that when he reached out, he could touch him. And so we have the holiness of the Son of Man coming into contrast with someone full of sickness. And again, we have what? A conviction, like Peter in the boat, a conviction, a conviction. And he doesn't dare ask to be healed. He just acknowledges it because he doesn't even dare second guess what the Son of Man would do. If you can touch, if you can heal me, and Jesus says he will. Now, to touch a leper, that was breaking a mosaic law. So I'd like to introduce this thought. He reached out and he said, I will be clean. And I bet you simultaneously, as he reached out his hand to that man, before he touched him, I bet you he was clean. A human touch, how long had it been? He was full of leprosy. We don't know how long he'd been sick, but a human touch, an eye contact with Christ. This was different. Jesus was different. He was breaking down the barriers. Jesus tells him to, again, keep the Mosaic law. He's not going to break the law. Tells him to go and show himself to the priest because in Leviticus 14, that's what they needed to do. They had to go and show themselves to the priests. But these priests, at this time, going on with Jesus walking around here, were very skeptical. They probably looked up that man, examined him all over, how could this, whatever. I bet you that was the cleanest leper they'd ever seen. Because we know he immediately cleans them up. I bet you he even got rid of a sore throat if he had it, right? He was restored to perfect health. And he sends them to them. For a proof to them, it says in verse 14, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. We can see that the opposition is, is starting to get really strong for Jesus. They're out there, the Pharisees and the lawgivers and the scribes are all out there. They're watching, they're on the peripheral, but they're watching what this son of man is doing because he's different. Joseph's son Oldest one in the family went into the priesthood, you know, got inaugurated, got all that stuff, and yet he's different. So he hangs around with leopards and he touches them. And he knows what they're saying. In verse 17, Jesus is continuing to do and teach. Before I get there in verse 16, um, it says that he... Um, Give them proof. In 15, and now even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds, great crowds gathering around. His public ministry is growing and growing. That word report now is the word that means intellectual understanding. Didn't quite get it of how he's doing this or who he is, but they're starting to really make sense. It's not just rumors anymore. There's, there's, there's a a deeper knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. And he would heal people in verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Again, we see this theme of prayer with Christ. Um, constant connection with the Father. He doesn't do anything unless the Father tells him to do it or tells him what to say. It was a fellowship with him. Again, he was holy and pure without sin, and he was walking amongst us in this valley of the shadow of death. Sin and, and perversion all around. So often he would go and have that fellowship with the Father, that quiet time, and pray. 
But he continues to do and teach. That's what Luke was telling us that he's doing. This is a record of Jesus doing and teaching. And in verse 17, on one of those days, he was teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. So he's teaching, and here they are. They're hanging out on the sidelines. And they'd come from all over. Every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, they were just not just the people in general, but these opposition is growing. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Lots of healing. This, I don't even know what it would be like if Jesus walked today. Um, I, I just look back at this time when um, medicine was limited. Um, we didn't have... Artificial intelligence. I mean, today, you don't even know what's true out there, right? They can change something on the screen. They can steal your identity. I mean, what's, what's, we're, what's real and not real out there? So at this time, this was, Jesus was a phenomenal that was coming on the earth just in, in an amazing way after 400 years of dark, 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 desolate, no word from God and a hopelessness people barely hanging on to this, this great light that has shown in the darkness that Isaiah talks about. And so he was healing people. In verse 18, and some were, um, were bringing all their sick and in, and he's teaching, he's in this house. And in verse 18, we have the story of the man that comes down through the roof. Another very common story. All of a sudden, he's teaching and healing the power of God. Oppositions watching, standing off and watching. And suddenly, the roof starts opening up. And this man suffering from a moral malady, physically disabled. One commentator said he was just shaking. It was just, the man was a mess due to his own sin. A sickness due to sin, a palsy, a shaking you know, sexually transmitted disease, we don't know. But it was because of his behavior that this man was ill. In his soul was the conscious awareness that what was going on with him was his own fault. Got to live with that too, don't you? It wasn't like, oh, we got cancer because he was working in a chemical plant or whatever. This is because of his own behavior he was suffering, and he was suffering horribly. But he had some dedicated friends, and they went up there, and they put a hole in the roof, and they dropped him down. And everybody's watching what's going on. And when he saw their faith in verse 20, he said to this man, and again, Jesus sees people. He saw the leopard. He saw Simon. He sees this man. He sees the torment in his soul because of his own sin, what, the, what sin in general has caused in diseases and, and suffering. And he looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. At this moment, you could probably hear a pin drop on the floor. Because now... Jesus had crossed another line. He's now speaking blasphemies. Before he was just healing, right? He just could be a great physician. But now we see him as he's saying things, claiming to be God. 
Only God can forgive sin. And they're all saying that. They're thinking this. Who is, what is he saying now? That he's God? Who can forgive God? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And Jesus, I love this, perceived their thoughts. Read their minds. He knew. He knew before time began that they would have these thoughts. And he says to them, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Because it was pretty difficult to heal a leper completely, and it's pretty difficult to catch all that fish, and it's pretty difficult to tell a lame man to walk. Those things are pretty difficult. So how is it any more difficult to say we're gonna, you, your sins are forgiven? It's not any easier to heal. That's also God's work. So what he's saying here, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin, and it is proved by his ability to heal. goes hand in hand. So he's taken all this healing, all these people that are bringing their sick to him, and he's healing them, touching every single one of them we saw last week. Healing them, he has that kind of authority, and that same authority gives him the ability to forgive sins. Proof of moral authority was found in physical healing. They went together. Perfect timing, too. He didn't say, yeah, I forgive your sins, and then started doing healing. He had, it, he had them all captivated by the fact that he could physically heal. And he was. And then he says that he's forgiving sins. Well, this is like the whole trigger now for these the opposition to really take hold of their angst against him. Tells the man to rise, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately he did. And the man takes up his mat, and he went home glorifying God. Glorifying God. And in verse 26, an amazement seized them all. Amazement, astonishment, amazement. Sometimes our English language just can't capture what's going on here. There was an, uh, um, just speechlessness almost. An amazement seized them all, again, that encompassing, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Extraordinary things today. We have seen paradoxes. We have seen strange things. We've seen things we do not understand, but we've seen them. We've seen apparent contradictions. So they were bewildered, but in amazement, yet these things made them glorify God, filled with fear and awe. He was shaken up the world. Jesus was shaken up the world, the Son of Man. He was different. And he was doing amazing things. Different. It's divine nature. Son of man is, is different, is new. Well, so now, in verse 27, we have the story of Levi. Now Jesus is going to start hanging out with some people that are really... I mean, it's not like he's going to get sick or something from leprosy, but these people are scoundrels, thieves, lowlifes. They're rich. You know, these were Jewish people. Levi was a tax collector, a Jew, who was working for the Roman Empire. So he worked for Herod, and 
Herod would send the Jews out into their own communities to collect tolls. They were by this river or this lake, so he's probably sitting there. Um, in verse 27, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. So there was a tax booth probably by the lake when the boats came in or whatever, and he would take, you know, the taxes. Well, how much did you catch? Whatever. Okay, well, you owe me that much. And he would always up the ante a little bit and pocket some of it. Um, so they got very, very wealthy. So Rome hated him because he was a Jew. He was just a servant. He was like a nothing. So the Jews hated him because he would steal more money from them than he needed to. And Rome was already overtaxing the people. Um, and so it was a horrible situation. So the, the tax collectors were, not, were despised. And here Jesus walks by and sees Levi. And he says to him, follow me. Notice Levi's response in verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. His response was immediate, not like Peter's was. He leaves everything behind, totally. Why? When Jesus called him, follow me. Again, a connection, a eye contact, um, follow me, join me, travel with me. Come and be my friend. This is a guy that didn't have friends. He had acquaintances, but really... You know, it was a lousy um, a job that he had. Be my friend. Come with me. And Jesus was asking him to join him in fellowship, to come along and follow. And so he jumps at this chance. We know that Levi becomes um, the recorder for him and everything as he became one of his disciples. Levi, so thrilled such a, a, a transition, a new leaf turned over, a change of everything, a leaving everything I completely, he became different. Peter became different in the boat when he was convicted. The leper became different when he was cleansed. Levi becomes different and leaves everything and throws this party, this feast. He wants everyone that he knows to, to, to know this Jesus this newfound fellowship and friend and hope that there is and love. And so he throws this great feast in verse 29 in his house. He was rich. He had a lot of big house servants. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table there. And all these people were there. And who's watching? Who's watching? All those Pharisees, right? Just waiting for him. Now what is he doing? Now he's hanging around with the enemy. So they start to grumble. Soon as Jesus comes out of the house, they criticize him. He's a great party, meeting a lot of people. I don't know how many people got saved there or got to know Jesus. I mean, it was a wonderful thing. Steps outside and boom, these party poopers are there saying, you... You know, they got all these complaints. They start grumbling at him. And what do they say? Pharisees in verse 30. And the scribes grumble at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? Just, you know, just nailing them. I mean, you just had a nice meal with a bunch of people and you walk outside and you just get nee, 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 nee. grumbling. Two complaints they had against Jesus and his disciples. The first one, 
They were complaining because he was constantly with sinners. You're constantly with sinners. You're supposed to be separate. You're not supposed to hang out with those kinds of people. What is Jesus' response in 31? He tells them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Jesus says, I'm not defending their sin. I'm hanging out with them. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. Here's what we have to learn in life. We hold up the light. We hold up the truth. We hold up the moral code. And we do it in love. So he's not condemning their sin. He's saying that he came to cure their sickness. John 17, 16. Be in the world, but not of the world. Well, I don't know if they liked his answer or not. But they went on to grumble about the second complaint that they had about him and his disciples. In verse 33, they say to him, and your disciples, you know, the disciples of John, they fast often and they offer prayers and, you know, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, yours are eating and drinking. Yours are having too much fun. Your disciples are too cheerful. It's a party. What is going on? You shouldn't be doing that. Asceticism. You need to lay it aside and not um, have... Uh, you know, pleasures in life and stuff. You're too happy. You need to practice some of the aesthetic practices of self-denial. And Jesus' response is this. And his response to them is not a response for us. This is directly for the disciples at that time because he was with them. And he tells them they're happy because I'm with them. Aren't we happy when we're with Jesus? Aren't we happy when we come out of our quiet time with him no matter how bad the day is going or dreary we spend time in our word and talking to God or just with fellowship with other believers it's a happy time Thursdays are happy times aren't they yes I hear it from a lot of you Thursdays I love Thursdays so but the day will come when he won't be with them anymore and then they will do these things of fasting and that was for them Then It doesn't apply to us now, because now, this side of the cross, in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, he will never leave us or forsake us. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding, and he sealed us with his Holy Spirit. And nothing, in Romans 8, nothing, height, nor death, nor sin, or you know what the list goes on, can separate us from the love of God. So, they're complaining, the opposition is growing, Jesus goes on to tell them in 36 and 39, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new. And the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. What's he talking about here? Jesus is coming to do something new. He uses the example of wine and being fermented. Fermented wine that has set a long time in the container um, can go into older new ones. But if it's unfermented wine, it can only go into a new container. New wine 
God's kingdom is unfermented. It's the new wine. It's the new thing. And it cannot go back into the old containers of the old ways. Jesus didn't come to mend up the old way. He came to fulfill the prophets and the the Psalms. He didn't come to mend it. He came to fulfill it and to bring in something new, to put an end to the past, to start the new, to fulfill the past and to move forward. In a way, he's saying this to them, satire, you have been drinking the old wine and you are drunk and you prefer the old wine. And that's why they crucified him. Isaiah, I'll end on this. Isaiah 43. Did you ever realize, I got a minute to say this. Um, Isaiah is a wonderful book to study. And I know that chapters aren't... um, and verses aren't, they say, um, um, I can't think of the word anyways. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah, <clears throat> 66 chapters, books of the Bible. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah, 1 to 39, deal with judgment, the Jews in exile to Babylon. It's 39 books of the Bible, Old Testament, same thing. The last 27, New Testament, and the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, 40 to 66, is when Jesus brings comfort to the Jews and promises return of restoration. So in chapter 43, we're not in the judgment time, we're in the restoration time, in the comforting time, and Isaiah 43, verse 19 says this, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. A new thing. Son of man was different. He was new. He was a rebel. He was bringing in a kingdom. He was bringing in a new race. Remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus is the firstborn of a new race. And when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are spiritually born into that new race, and we are following him. And therefore, ladies and gentlemen, we have got to be different. We've got to be different. We've got to be standing out and something different about us so the world would say, wow, what is it about you? What is it about you that you're not falling apart? What is it about you that there's always joy What is it about you that there's just always a comfort? What is it about you where I can see the fruit of God's spirit manifesting in your life? That is what's going to be catching people for Jesus. Because if we're no different than the world, there's big deal. It's going to be more of a turn away. Lord God, we... We can't be different on our own. We want to, to be like you. We trust that your spirit is transforming us into the image of your son. We, we trust that. We cling to that. Forgive us when we push up against that or give you a hard time about it. Help us to yield our, our wills, to be molded by your word, by by fellowship with you, by each other, 
into the people that you want us to be, to your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.